0: Welcome to New Books and Film. I am your host, Joel Cherney. The superhero genre is dominated by men who have special powers and characteristics that allow them to be strong and successful. Yet many films and television shows feature females as heroes, endowed with their own gifts that help them flourish. Today, I will be speaking with Norma Jones, co-editor of the book, Heroines of Film and Television... Portrayals in Popular Culture. The book was published in 2014 by Roman and Littlefield. In the book, the editors compiled the essays into four sections, devoted to television, film, diverse heroines, and cross-cultural characters. Norma also discusses the process that allowed two graduate students to co-edit such an important collection. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Norma Jones. Welcome Norma. How are you today?
1: I am doing very, very well. Thank you so much for including me.
0: Obviously, the title of your book is pretty self-explanatory. I mean, when, you're, when you've got a book that's called Heroines of Film and Television, I think it's pretty simple to figure out what you write about. <laughs> but I think before we talk about the specifics, even though obviously what was written, what you've got in the book is certainly very interesting. I think it's worthwhile to try to get your background. Um, what led you to show an interest in film, television and popular culture? And what brings you to the point where you, uh, co-edited this book?
1: Well, I'm going to have to start a little earlier since I'm a non-traditional student. I actually had a 15-year career between a bachelor's and a master's degree in media, in PR, and in marketing. Um, So let me kind of start a little earlier. I practically grew up in a television studio in Taiwan. And both of my parents, they wrote and produced television shows. Uh, You know, my dad directed, my mom scored music, and it was all prime time. So, you know, one of my earliest jobs, again, it was at the age of six weeks, I was crying baby or sleeping baby, but I always got it wrong. So that was kind of like my last acting role. But I've been around television and production and in newsrooms pretty much since birth. Now, then we kind of tie in to academia. I was always curious how academics looked at media, especially when a lot of folks don't have production experience. And... At the same time as a lot of folks in production don't really i don 't know how many people think critically other than hey, I need to feed myself and make the next paycheck so it's always interesting for me to tie the two together so that was kind of how you know taking these real world concerns about we have to make this filming schedule there's at least a hundred people on the set that I have to take care of or I have to make sure they get safely or in the um, for example, my dad's production company, he has to sell his content because he has 30 people relying on him for their livelihoods. And then we take how what affects or how he's influencing things. So I, I really was interested in that from a very broad point of view for popular culture.
0: You obviously now have some academic background, or if I understand correctly. So how does that relate to this project? And how you came up with your co-editors and divided up the work.
1: Um, So specifically, this is really cool. A friend of mine, Maya Byatz-Carter, she and I went to the same program at North Texas, a University of North Texas. We both ended up at Kent, and a lot of that was me harassing her pretty much every week. When are you applying to Kent? When are you coming up here? And the distance between, you know, Kent, Ohio, and um, Denton, Texas, you know, a couple thousand miles, or, or I don't know the exact geography. Well, of my-
0: <laughs> I actually graduated, I, I actually got my master's in library science at Kent State University. I used to live in Ohio, so... Uh, I, grew, I grew up in Ohio, so yes, I know the distance is quite a bit. It's seven hundred miles from where I live now in Alabama to Kent. So.
1: so, so the couple thousand is wrong. This is why I am terrible. Well, now. no, it's probably about right
0: from that distance. <laughs> okay. But,
1: okay. but yes, I know Kent
0: so. quite well. Is what I guess I'm trying. to
1: Wonderful. So you know, uh, well, that this new the new program that we're in is cross-multidisciplinary. So instead of just communication studies or instead of just film studies, instead of journalism, mass com, we get to kind of play in each of those fields. Even library sciences is part of the new communication and information, the college. This allows us to think a little out of the box. And so she and I both were, we're having dinner. I I think we're watching one of the X-Men movies and her thesis was going to be on these women's narratives and how much they haven't changed over time. So, for example, we have Athena, uh, who is the goddess of war. She was very strong. Then we have Aphrodite, who is the goddess of love. But then we realized, no, actually, there have been some changes. There's still the super weak and still the super strong. But there's also women exist all the way in between. That's where we wanted to be. And we didn't want to say we were either super strong or super weak, as some people talked about, but what about all the nuances? What about all these different ways of thinking about women? And we thought about how superheroines, especially people like Wonder Woman and Xena, and even Buffy, um, and even Bella in Twilight, Hermione in uh, the Harry Potter series, what do these women mean for us? Um, One very interesting character that I'm actually thinking about right now, she's not in the books, is a Rosalie Hales character in Twilight because she survived traumatic rape and death and how she dealt with it. So we're really, really wanting to think about women differently, also for ourselves, too, because we're not super strong all the time. We're not super weak all the time. We're sometimes in between. Sometimes we're one. Sometimes we're the other. And we wanted to have a lot of these authors just in conversation with each other instead of saying, this is the definitive answer.
0: Where did the actual project come from them? I and obviously from your discussions, but uh, where did uh, you go to figure out a way to, to do this project, to actually write a book?
1: We went to our mutual advisor at the time, Bob Bachelor. He's at Teal College now, but he was at Kent State. And he has really, I, I don't even know the number of books that he has under his belt. And he liked the idea, and he not only supported us, but he gave us the green light to go ahead. Now, keep in mind, Maya and I were both first, uh, she was a first-year uh, uh, PhD student. I would be a second-year at this time. This is kind of a big project to allow two students to handle. But he gave us a green light. He had the confidence in us. We wrote up the call. We sent it to various listservs. Our instincts were right. The response was overwhelming. We were shocked at not only the number of responses and proposals that came back to us, but also the firepower of the people who were sending us these proposals. These were people that we looked up to as our own academic heroes, the people that we cited, the people we only read about. And so here we are again as these students thinking, what do we have here? So because he gave us this opportunity, we're able to put this together. He helped us from the initial call. He helped us secure the contract with Roman and Littlefield. And um, from there, we got started.
0: One of the great things these days is because popular culture and issues related to popular culture and have now become very normal subjects to write about, which is great. And I think yeah. it has a lot to do with why you were able to find people. People are now able to write about things that are really interesting to them and are more popular subjects rather than the old academia where you had to write about obscure things that – only, only the only people who cared about it were other academics. So and I'm speaking right, as right, an, right. And of course, I'm speaking as an academic. But uh, as you can see, it's it's gotten to the point now where it's so much easier to find people interested in writing. Um, yeah. One of the things when we sort of went back and forth before we started, um, you know, in our discussion about having the interview, is you were saying, you had so many responses, you had to come up with a new plan of attack, so to speak, as to how to handle all the responses you received. What did you end up deciding to do uh, with so many responses?
1: Based on our initial call plus some extra phone calls um, to, to people we knew, we had over 70 responses. Now, you have maybe 20 chapters uh you know, give or take a few so you know chapters can range from like 15 to 25 but figure 20 we had twice as many or even close to three or four times as many as we could handle and we started seeing this trend of well why don't we it was so hard to say no to so many of these that again this is where bob's experience came into play he said well i think we need to split this into two volumes and we did so. We were able to find how we can split film and, uh, I'm sorry, film and television into one, and then we took comic books and literature and real-life heroes, heroines into a second. So we actually had to split them into two books, and, it, and they became companion volumes.
0: Well, it's, it was great that you were even able to do that, because frankly, like you say, when you have that many good uh, writers interested in it, and in researchers interested in writing for you the ability to actually write two books out of the hole is unbelievably good so it's obvious you hit the right level as to far as the information what you were trying to write about because it clearly hit the right chord to writers
1: and and if we i think and if i may just segue a little bit i really think that I have to point back to folks like Bob and Kent State is that how many people would let a couple of first and second year graduate students or, or PhD students attempt something like this?
0: So obviously <laughs> getting these, I know, I mean, it's just, it's yeah. great. As I said before, it's just <laughs> unbelievable how the ability to publish now has become uh, available more yeah. so and, and people are able to take advantage of it in ways. I mean, part of that has to be that they show uh, ability too. I mean, it's not just a matter that anybody can work a book or anybody, an advisor's not going to let just anybody, but the point is you obviously must've shown him something to say that you could, uh, you could actually get the work done and have it work properly. So that's actually quite good. Um, you. so you get these, you've got these 70 or so responses. How did you decide? What to, uh, to 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 structure the book? Obviously, we know you split them into two volumes, But your book, for example, has four sections, each with a different group for it. Uh, were you able to pretty much take the responses you got and fit them, or did you have to sort of look and and see what you what you received and say, okay, how am I going to, how are we going to put these all into this book?
1: We initially, because we were trying for something a little different. We sifted out pieces where people took a very, uh, I don't want to say monotheistic, but just a very monolithic um, point of view. So either the women are very weak or very strong, or that weak is good and strong is good, or weak is bad or strong is bad. We're looking for more nuanced readings. So we picked pieces that, would work in conversation with each other so this person might have said this that person completely disagrees right and we wanted that level this was meant to be a conversation starter not to say we know what we're talking about period the end is let's talk let's get together these are these perspectives these are these great opinions these are things that we are talking about right now so how do we then together as a group as you know academics, for readers. And 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 you did read this. So the writing was meant to be more accessible so that it was not meant for pure academics. It was meant for folks who are interested in the broader public um, so that we can actually have a conversation about this. Um, so that's how we decided. And then because of that, we had to then split it. We didn't want to split too thematically because we wanted folks to make their own judgment. That's why we did it by media. So, for example, um, is are these folks in film, are these diversity concerns? So that is kind of a genre. Um, are these television concerns? Are these things that span across these media? So we wanted to be less thematic because we wanted the readers to have their own we didn't want to frame it for them. We right. wanted the readers to do it themselves.
0: Right, because it, it, the, the problem with, as you just said, that because popular culture, and I'm using that as a over, you know, an, an overarching theme of all of the, this material, uh, right. there are also, they're going to be on different levels. Uh, so even having to come up with categories like television, film, as you say, diversity, and across the media, some of the materials we <laughs> right. even came up with, are still across the media. I mean, it's still right. you could still only get so far as far as uh, putting them into the specific categories. You had to do as best as you could, but it could definitely, I'm sure, it definitely made things a little bit uh, more challenging as far as doing separating things. Although, based on what you came up with in the various essays, it's clear that you you did well. But I can imagine how much how difficult it must have been to try to get that into a a format that made some amount of sense to a publisher in particular.
1: There were, there were several um, iterations of uh, the post-it notes where you have all of them. And, you know, you say, well, this kind of fits these three themes and, you know, different color post-it notes, different color markers, several scraps of paper all across the dining table. And, uh, you know, luckily at the end we, and, and this is a very conscious decision again, You know how we, as media scholars, a lot of times we point to the media as trying to think for us, right? They frame things. They leave certain things out. They highlight certain things. So what we wanted to do was to avoid that ourselves. How do we then not replicate that exact same framing? How do we then do not replicate that this is how we want you to think, right, or this is what we want you to think, we're trying to remove that agenda. Granted, you know, there is, of course, an agenda. We're looking at females in popular culture and across different types of medium, different types of art uh, medias, different types of uh, genres. But we wanted to, as much as we could, remove that so that it wasn't our voices coming through.
0: Yeah, and that is the difficult part because you're still trying to make things thematic, but you've got to still let the, you know, when you're doing an, it's one thing when you're <laughs> writing the entire book yourself and it's all your Information and your thoughts and your ideas, but when you're trying to include other people's, that's why I think editing I don't think the average person would think that editing a collection for example is, is they might think how difficult is that you just threw everybody else did the writing, but that's not true. You had to make sure that everything fit well. you had to work with the different authors to try to to come up with things that fit within the process of what you're doing so it's a different thing from writing, but it's, it still has its definite challenges.
1: And also the other issue here was that from where we were positionally wise, because we're able to, you know, use Bob's good name or his reputation, we have a lot of folks that came to the table. But then as we were editing, how is it that these two doctoral students again, are telling these folks that have been doing this for longer than we've been students, um, who who are we to tell them what to do or how to edit or how to write? So that was something that I think was really – it wasn't a challenge because everybody was awesome, but it was a little bit of a fear on our part. It's like, what are we doing?
0: (laughs) Well, it ended up not being a challenge, but you didn't know that going in. It could have been a challenge.
1: We saw some of these names, and there were at least three different points where we said, "It's like, okay, um, that's Jennifer K. Stoller. That's uh, that's uh, Trina, Um, or you know, this this is uh, Trina Robbins, or this is Jeffrey Brown. Who are we to tell them that you might want to consider using this other word, or who are we to tell them that we need this to be shorter or longer? Who 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 the heck are we?" (laughs) So that was that sense of. Fear. I mean, it really was a sense of fear. But at the same time, is because everyone was so wonderfully collaborative and working with us, it was it that removed it. it, it you know, came from Bob having the confidence in us. It came from um, the publisher saying this is a great idea. It came from all these folks saying this is something we wanted to be part of. And to be able to talk to these authors and be again, this this taught us so much about this review process of what we want and what we. Think. Uh, And again, this is, you know, I'm a little older where how would I want to be treated as a writer? Right. And I found that process to be so wonderful because then I thought about what is it that for me that I wanted to be treated as a writer? How would I want to be um, interacted with? How do I want someone to help me shape a piece or right? So it, it taught me a lot about that as well.
0: Oh, like you say, it's unbelievable to be able to get this chance this early on, that early on in your academic career. But I think, uh, as I say, he wouldn't have, uh, you know, the publisher and Bob would not necessarily wouldn't have gone along if they <laughs> didn't think you two had the ability to do it. And so that's a good thing. As I say, I, I enjoy talking about these issues of writing because, yep. uh, you know, the process sometimes is something that I find. So incredibly interesting and usually an edited collection is where I get even more interested because I know there's a different type of process involved there. And um, so it's good to hear exactly some of the issues you had to go through. Um, So you've divided the book into four sections, as we've already uh, talked about. Obviously, as we've already mentioned, uh, you did the first part. You've got three essays on television Then in the second part, you've got um, another six essays dealing with heroines on film. Um, Then you've got the four essays in the section dealing with diversity. And then finally, you've got three uh, essays at the end that deal with the whole issue of heroines across different media. Uh, Film, television, and as we've already mentioned briefly, and we'll come back to, to your your inclusion in the collection, and that's even books, um, popular literature, and and how important these kinds of issues can stretch from one place to another. Um, Going back to then to the initial two chapters, television and film, um, what kind of themes came through in the essays that you chose to include in, let's say, one of those or both of those sections of, uh the, the the titles obviously of the essays are quite striking. So uh what kind of things did you see that sort of help with your collaboration concept that you were trying to do?
1: Um well so for example, let me with, with The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Okay. That is chapter four, uh torture, Brown, rape and action. Right? Jeffrey Brown, uh, Torture, Rape, and Action Heroines, and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I would have to say that was the hardest chapter to read because of the subject matter. Right. And having watched the film itself, that was the hardest. And I saw the American version. um, That was the hardest part to watch. And it was how well he treated that. Then he talked about how uh, in the movie... Um, oh, I forgot his name right now. The 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 current James Bond. Oh, um, um, Daniel Craig. Yes, how he was in the victim's role, and how she, even though she, you know, she had piercings and 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 uh, her character, she, the the girl with the dragon tattoo, the titular character, she was the hero. And by emasculating, um, I'm sorry about the spoilers. By uh, no, masculating it's okay. pretty. <laughs> At <laughs> this point in time, I I decide.
0: <laughs> You know, more than a year, you're on your own as far as I'm concerned when it comes to spoiler <laughs> alerts.
1: Right, right. So it, it's the sense of, um, and he had a wonderful essay, but it was too long because he was carrying so much rich material. Right. And we had to um, ask, we had to figure out how to take some of this out because... Again, it was so rich. I mean, as it stands, it is how many pages? It's one of the longer pieces. It's about at, 18
0: pages. If I look at the table of contents correctly, it's about 18 yeah.
1: pages. So it's one of the longer, um, it, you know, it's right. slightly, yes, yeah, so it's one of the longer pieces. And, and that's because we took um, the notes and shrunk them. <laughs> and so it's that he was willing to say that, The character, Salander, she, am I pronouncing that right? Salander? Okay. And she can fight. She was such a strong female character. And Bloomquist is the uh, Daniel Craig's character Mm -hmm. that instead of her fighting alone, that they're fighting this together. Right. And there's something so wonderful about that because the female heroine, Or the female hero doesn't have to stand on her own. She is not the super strong character, like, you know, who doesn't need anybody, right? She is not the super weak Bella that has to have someone do uh, a lot for her. But instead, she's working with somebody. Right. And even though she rescues him, she's, he's working with somebody. I'm sorry, that, that they're working together. Right. And so I kind of saw that as a metaphor because, you know, we worked with him there, and he was so gracious in allowing us to – please cut this out. Oh, my gosh, this is too long. We're very sorry. He was so gracious in allowing us to do that and to not just say, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to publish this somewhere else on my own because I can and I'm awesome. He was willing to work with us. And the fact that that, that – it was such a metaphor for this. Right. That we we'll, we need to work together. It's not just one person.
0: Well, and that's the thing because um, <clears throat> it's such an issue. I mean, it, first off, in a way, it's too. It, it, you look at the other some of the other sections of that particular section. Uh, you've mm-hmm. got the, this the one you just mentioned, uh, you know, from Jeffrey Brown, and then you've got a chapter dealing with uh, Kill Bill, where the the yeah. main here the the only. Hero in the entire book, pretty much, or movie, excuse yep. me, both of them is female, but right, and, and she, and she seems to be to a large extent fighting both genders, although quite a few of the genders she's fighting are also female, and mm-hmm. it's just this whole issue of how you, how a, a heroine comes along, and it, it was interesting that you came in some of the. Uh, examples that you used were not ones that people would automatically think about automatic, you know, right from the start. So for example, we going pretty far back in film, you did a, you have a chapter dealing with Willow of all, of of all films and that's much older. And and so that's great where uh, we can look at the topic and from a, a long period of time, rather than depending mostly on more current, uh, films, because I think it's important to look at the histories as well.
1: Um, it, it shaped, us. and and also for uh, and it, it resonated with me because Sorsha, for me was one of the first strong female characters. She was my version of Uhura, mm-hmm. Um in that I saw a character who was she was a princess, so she had all the responsibilities of a prince, right? She was the he man. She she had to carry on the kingdom. But she also fought. She wasn't just there to get married. Right. And um, that was something that really resonated for me personally.
0: And then going back to the first part, ter- television, I think Mad Men <laughs> will continue to be a source <coughs> of writing for a long, long time. Because oh, yeah. Because <coughs> I've seen a number of collections, and Mad Men has be- become one of those that people come to for a lot of different points, both female, male. All kinds of reasons, but uh, obviously starting the book with an, an essay about uh, Joan from Mad Men and how yeah. she fits into the whole process of showing what <clears throat> what it might have been like working in an advertising agency in the nineteen sixties, and um, how she fits her and her character and her way fits into yeah. the overall storyline there.
1: Yeah. And that was a deliberate choice on our part um, to begin with something. And what you point out is very interesting. Mad Men is supposed to be set, what, 50 years ago now? But she's right. a contemporary character. And so we wanted someone who is right now. Okay. And if you kind of look at the last essay, it's, um, it's uh, Carolyn Coca, and she writes about Wonder Woman and Buffy. Mm-hmm. Wonder Woman is one of our first uh, female
0: heroes in the U S Right, and the comic is actually quite old. So we're not even talking, I mean, it goes back quite a number of years when wonder woman came out as a comic. It wasn't something that was just developed. So it's interesting that you can go back far and still see, and it's an interesting female heroine as well. It's not like what you would consider to be traditional female character. That's for sure. And yeah, the fact that it became pop, you know, Brenda Woman as a, con, as a uh, character became so popular that she's still around both in the comics and in other formats.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so that's that's kind of why, and this was something that Bob kind of talked talk to us about as well, is not only does the book need to make sense internally within the chapters, I'm sorry, within the sections, Mm -hmm. right? We need to look at this overall flow. Granted, that's just a very, very big way of looking at a beginning and end chapters. But what is it, you know, so we talk, you know, know, we thought about the order of it fairly carefully of, okay, you know, burn one down. Again, we're we're talking um, the two pieces, the first two chapters are cable television. And Lost Girl was an older piece. So we kind of put that towards the end of that. Right. So th- th- there's logic, and uh, in each of the sections, as we we really did talk about it about how things would flow.
0: I also found it interesting is that some of your sec- some of the individual essays are more general instead of specifying just just one film or one television show. There's a couple of them, particularly the yeah. uh, the paranoid heroine in contemporary romantic comedy,
1: which I think yeah. it's a sub-
0: that is a great subject to write about because, frankly. I think romantic comedies still, you know, right. it's, it's where most women seem to be able to find work, and yet right. what they're what they have to do, as far as the work is concerned, can be so different from from what you might expect.
1: I loved his chapter there, Pedro Ponces, because all these women there, you have again um, uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo you've got Sin City, you've got Kill Bill, you have Sorsha you have um, uh, the woman who fell from the sky in Cowboys and Aliens from our friend Cynthia Miller and then you have this one kind of oddity in there that's like well wait a minute they're just we're talking about bridesmaids <laughs> we're talking about how, so I love how that you know I. I, I kind of wish I had a five or seven chapters so I can plop that right in the middle, but I really wanted that to kind of offset this understanding of these women are all fighters, or these women are all strong, or these women are all wearing leather, or have swords mm-hmm. or knives. What else is she doing? What is this other version of a heroine?
0: Right, because you have to say to yourself, okay, are these women, be- are they strong women because they're acting like men might? Mm-hmm. Or are they strong women because they're strong women? Because right, right. The, and that's the one of the problems you could deal with is, okay, what are we talking about? And, and that's why a chapter like that I found to be so interesting because it's the more general concept. And frankly, using romantic comedy, all of, most of the rest of the material that you provided are, are not comedies, so to speak. And so it was nope. great to see that chapter. It's sort of, I'm not sure where it is in relation to the entire book, but it's certainly... Not in the middle, but close to the middle, so I think it's an interesting spot in the, in, as far as placing where it was. I also found yeah. it interesting that you uh, made sure to include uh, some Bollywood, a Bollywood chapter, which I think is also very important to the whole concept of women in uh, popular culture.
1: Yeah, be, well, I mean, I am from, originally from Taiwan, so I am Chinese. And we had, you know, Final Fantasy. We had um, two pieces that dealt with text or, or comics or, or um, anime that came from Asia. And I, I didn't feel that we really covered enough about this grand version of what Asia is. It's not just people that look like me. Right. right. And so I really love that piece because it's it takes into account religion. That's where the original concept of heroes came from. Right? Half man, half god, Hercules. Um uh Perseus, all these heroes that were not fully divine but not fully human either. And she really deals with that really well. I just love how she kind of talked about sense i mean of course wonder woman right being being um uh descended uh from oh i don't remember if she was from yeah she's from zeus but being able to talk about people who are somehow related to um existing understandings of religion that are not u.s based made me extremely happy and reika and carol are both from uh can and they did a wonderful job with that chapter.
0: Well, that's one of the good things these days because of the internet and other sources and streaming, we can we can see films and television and other kinds of materials from other cultures, yeah. other countries, and it's not difficult. So if you start so it's been not unusual with some of the interviews I've done where somebody's brought up a film that I'd never heard of or I didn't know about and I've been able to find it very easily because nowadays Those kind of things are very easy to find. So it just makes it even more interesting when you can write a chap, include a chapter like that, knowing that the people who read it will have the opportunity probably to see at least some of the uh, examples that are mentioned, but uh, definitely can understand, you know, get a better understanding of the culture and also some of these um, issues that are brought up in an essay like that. One of the other general chapters you did that I found interesting was the one about the female captain uh women on the quarter deck yeah uh that's another one that's general rather than specifying one particular work, so I found that to be another one where there had to have been so much material that that could have been included in that mater- in that chapter because the issue of the female captain and and mm-hmm. i something that could be. It's there's just so much there to be mined as far as information and, and and ideas.
1: If I may just back up one bit, one thing about the Bollywood chapter and the dark, twisted magical girls is they're written from a within and without perspective. Reika's heritage is uh, from India, and Lin Fan Shen's heritage is Asian, like mine. So one thing I remember, is I I read a lot about, uh, do you remember when Mulan came out and everybody talked about, well, this didn't happen, that didn't happen? And my grandma said, yeah, it did. So... I wanted some pieces in that section, at least the two, to really come from a within culture perspective, um, because what what Mulan did for a lot of folks in the U.S. is completely different from what it did for me personally, as from someone from um, a Chinese background. Uh, so you know, and then moving on to what you're currently saying about uh, women on the quarter deck, as uh, you know, female. Uh, captains as adventure heroes. This is from a uh, Bodwin Van Ripper, who is an awesome human being. And uh, he actually, during the course of this, he and uh, Cynthia Miller have both become just wonderful. I want to call them mentors, but they won't take that role on. Because, but even though I, I email them all the time with questions, um, they have become just wonderful friends of mine where they have taught me so much about the way they edit and the way they handle book projects that uh, I'm just grateful to them. Uh, about his specific piece is I am a huge Star Trek fan. And when I first saw Captain Janeway, a female starship captain, holy wow. You know, we we can do this, right? Um So it was just so nice to see her as a character who can be as tough as Kirk when she wants to be, be as diplomatic as Picard when she wants to be, but still be a woman.
0: It's interesting. Star Trek has an interesting history when it comes to female characters. And um, obviously, we know that uh, the first series had only one female, regular female character. Um, Right. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, she happened to be the telephone operator, but... <laughs>
1: <a good> <laughs> but, hey, she, she, you know, wasn't the maid, wasn't the cook. Right. It's still, you know, it still helped. A, 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 didn't she inspire quite a few NASA um, yes. astronauts? Yes, I mean, there's no question
0: well, that she was yeah. inspiring. But, and and yeah. like I said before, not only was she female, but she was African-American, which made her even more striking as right? a character, especially back then where <laughs> you just, you know, that was a character a concept you just didn't see but then we came to next generation the movies basically females in the Mm -hmm. star trek movies i don't really remember much of any (laughs) major i mean you know when you think about it there wasn't much there and so then we get next generation and they obviously they consciously hoped or attempted to try to beef up the importance of female characters so we have the the doctor happens to be a female but then we have the the other you know we have troy's character so uh, it was interesting when um voyager was being announced and coming out this whole idea of a female um captain um, right definitely was an interesting situation back then
1: Yeah, Uh, because prior to that, in The Next Generation, we had Tasha Yar, who was, um, I think she was the main tactical officer, which meant she was in charge of all the weapons and beating anybody up.
0: She was the security officer. She was head of security at the beginning of the series.
1: And, you know, she was killed off, uh, had intimate relations with Data, and then was brought back as her own daughter. So, I mean, her character was just completely – I was not happy. Um, And then, you know, we have Deanna Troy, who was kind of like the intergalactic cheerleader when she first started with her outfits. And as much as they progressed later on, it was so amazing to see this – What I didn't like about some of the other women characters is they had the ability to get out of control and it wasn't okay. They were put in check. Even in the first Next Generation series, you see Tasha Yar saying, well, you know, we shouldn't do this. We should never allow this. And uh, and Troy had, you know, a massive uh, emotional overflow and Riker had to tell her to quit. Um, but there was well, yeah, when not you that think check.
0: about it, both the two female – the two other female characters between the Doctor and mm-hmm. – uh, the, the, you know, Picard and and the Doctor had previous, uh, not right. knew each other in the past. Although that wasn't romantic, it was clear they were trying to set something up. And then, of course, right. Troy and, and 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 right had had a previous relationship with with number one. So basically, they were still in traditional roles.
1: You know, right, it, right. they were
0: either ex girlfriends or possible future girlfriends that would seem to right, be right. some of their roles and on the, one of the reasons they were there. But
1: and, and what I liked, again, about Voyager was she was in charge, and she did have a previous relationship. And if you went to the book, she kind of, you know, it didn't work out. It's not the end of the world. She kind of had a relationship with uh, Chakotay, but that really wasn't, you know, all that important. And later on, you see that she comes back as an admiral, and I just again love the roundness of her character, and she never lost the fact that she is still a woman. She's not a guy in a female Starfleet outfit. Mm-hmm.
0: So then we come to the chapter you actually wrote a chapter for the, for the book, <laughs> like, and, and I mean, which is yes. good. I mean, when you're the editor, you might as well make sure that something you wrote gets in there. But it was an interesting concept because you went to the Harry Potter series and decided, okay, well, let's. There's one. Female, one important female in the Harry Potter series, let's talk about her.
1: Right, and it was Harry Potter. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So, in other words, I called Harry a girl. Right. And um, this, actually, I was a little scared to do this, and it was across several emails with Jennifer K. Stoller, who has her book, extinct Amazon. She and I corresponded a few times, and I told her my idea about this, and, she, and I said, this is a fear of mine, because I will be upsetting quite a few Harry Potter fans. Because a lot of folks who... Read Harry Potter and then compare it to Twilight, which were kind of like the two big young adult um, series at the time. They would always compare Bella to Hermione. Well, Bella is the main character in Twilight, but Hermione is a secondary character in Harry Potter because the series is called Harry Potter and pick the title. So I thought, okay, we need a more direct comparison between the two leads. Why, are we keep, why do we keep pushing towards Hermione? So it's almost like saying, well, then we need to look at Hermione and the Edward character or Hermione or Alice character. It's the wrong character to look at, in my opinion. And I started thinking that Harry, a lot of his characteristics were actually quite female. Um, his main power was love. Right, and the fact that j k. Rowling hid her own female identity to sell books as so she was told to mm-hmm. um now that you know folks are reading hermione's character as african american or or african of African descent because she's british um so what is going on there? So I really thought it'd be kind of interesting. What if I could gender bend this? And again, I don't know that if I could get away with something like this in, in anywhere else to just outright call her, call Harry Potter a girl. Um, so this is why I was kind of grateful that this was our series, <laughs> right. and that I could do something like this.
0: Well, it's good that uh, the point is, is these kind of series. though, that's what you want. You want people to. Think out as you pointed out with even the school that you, you know your college uh, experience. Thinking outside the box, trying yeah. to consider the concepts a little more out there because it, it, it is important to look at these from different points of view. You can't just say, "Okay, yeah. well, this is what it is, and that's that." Yeah. Well, so that is interesting that you made sure that uh, you were able to put your own point of view in one of the essays, in, in addition to the overall editing. Let's talk. I want to talk a little bit generally, uh, outside of the specifics from the book, though, because, uh, I know you are very, you you have a very large interest in popular culture, particularly with the issues of women, but not just women, overall popular culture. What are some of the issues that you see today? Uh, not that the book's that old, but you know what I mean? On a daily basis, (laughs) on a daily basis that you think continue to point some of the issues or are you seeing things that you think have gotten better that are improving based on some of the things you experience with the writing and some of the essays in popular culture as it comes to women?
1: Well, one of the things for me personally is what does it mean to be a woman in today's society? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I was hoping we could really kind of talk about with this. And what does it mean what should i be able to do what shouldn't i be able to do what are ways of doing things what are behavior stand you know all these things that we define as culture right what what are standards what are values what are um right and wrongs and judgments and i was very curious about that just again also from a personal point of view and then i see films it's uh You know, you see the – not Silver Lining's playbook, but um, it was with Bradley Cooper. He could take a pill, uh, and he could become all of a sudden able to do anything. Um, Robert – I think it was called Limitless. And then Scott Johansson was in another movie where they injected her, and she became really super powerful. And I forgot the movie's name, Um, and I can – and – it was the same type of concept where two people, one male, one female, had the ability to become more than themselves. Right. And what was amazing was Bradley Cooper, he chose to take this pill. He sought out this pill. He became kind of able to control his own life and those around him. Lucy you know, is, the,
0: Lucy is Lucy.
1: there. Yes. And Lucy... She and I read about the film. I haven't seen it yet, but from what I remember, she wasn't she injected with it.
0: Yeah, I don't know and, all the specifics. All I know is the commercials where they kept on talking about how she was using parts of her mind that uh, uh, yeah had never been used by the average person. That kind of thing. They were. That was the whole idea behind it.
1: Yeah, and that was also kind of the premise behind Limitless, like it opened up those parts of the minds, right, That uh, the 90% we never quote-unquote use. And so with her, it was, for her, it was, I think from what I remember, it it was forced on her, she became a danger, and so this is so interesting to me, because for him, it was a good thing. For her, it was forced on her, and it was probably not a good thing. So how is it that that translates to us? As, as male and female in the society, the exact same thing can happen. Why is it two different responses or two different perceptions? And then you add in how other women treat ourselves. Um, one thing I'm very interested in is a real-life character um, or real-life driver. Her name is Danica Patrick, and she's a female NASCAR driver. And what I'm kind of shocked by is how she doesn't have a lot of female support outside of NASCAR. There's, you know, calling her things like bikini stuffer or she's not doing anything for women in the sport. But at the same time, did we ask the same thing about um, folks like uh, Jackie Robinson and Jesse Owens or Muhammad Ali? Well, Muhammad Ali did. But do we ask the same questions of men? Do we ask the same questions of men of color? Do we ask those same questions? Why does she have more responsibilities on her Other than to drive and to perform and to, you know, be popular in a sport where not only does it matter how you finish or how well you perform in the sport, but how much, you know, how many audience members you draw and how much stuff you sell. So why is it that we judge her differently and why is that okay? And this spans academia, this spans Real world this spans popular culture, so that's what I'm really, really interested That's what I'm really interested in. Why is it that we have these different sets of judgment and we're okay with it?
0: Yeah, because I, I, there's no question that there are standards that I don't. You, know, you can use the phrase double standard, and I don't know if that's even the right way of considering it anymore. Right, but I mean, it's right. just we reached the point where um, it just consistently people are treated differently where in, in similar situations and it's seemingly the difference are because of gender uh right and therefore it, it has to be considered as the reason so to speak it's their gender that's making them be treated differently and 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 that is something you have to think about and this whole idea of that uh, you know that men can find plenty of, i know every year at the time of the award seasons for movies you hear the mm-hmm. constant oh well you know, men can find all kinds of roles, and it's tough to find women to
1: mm-hmm. be able
0: to find meaty roles to the extent where every year it seems like Meryl Streep gets nominated for an Academy Award just because she works, and so therefore we'll, we'll nominate right. Meryl Streep no matter what, and it becomes right, uh, right. It basically becomes a joke where you know we'll never you know she's a, she did a movie let's just nominate her and right I know there was a, there was a big controversy over the director of Selma who did not get nominated for Best Director. And a couple of things I've read, she basically said she knew she wasn't going to get nominated. And it had nothing to do with her abilities. It was the fact that the way she saw it, the directors, you know, the way the Oscars work is that people within each group are the ones who make the initial nominees. So directors only vote on directors to make the nominees. And she just isn't one of them, so to speak. that, That group of people just weren't going to consider her the same way, and it's just unfortunate that that uh in this particular situation and in others that uh women are being forced to yep. uh, be second class for that lack of a better way of putting it purely because they're you know they're they're pushed out of the way so to speak
1: and, and this is this book itself is kind of um I don't want to say resistance because then it just says that there's only – that we're fighting this power. But this is what I love about the concept of popular culture. If we just take those terms apart and, you know, culture, right, that means you are cultured. You have some level of refinement, education, knowledge. You know, it turns spoiled milk into cheese um, that we pay a lot of money for. And then you have the sense of the popular, which is not exactly cultured, right? It's it's available to everyone. It's of the populace. So you have this kind of clash just in the term itself. That's what I love about this because we can use these same tools because a lot of times it's where are these restrictions coming from? Are they coming from Hollywood to a certain extent? How much are we doing ourselves as academics? Let's be very honest about that. Let's look at ourselves. Let's look at how some women behave towards each other. Let's look at some men. So instead of saying this is this problem based on this thing let's really break it apart and be willing to not only examine each other but also ourselves too and I keep pointing to Danica for a reason is number one she is the subject of dissertation number two is I'm a life car a lifelong race fan and it's so amazing to see a woman race there and when I saw her um, in a car racing especially NASCAR it was akin to the first time I met a female pilot who worked for the Thunderbirds and I remember going up to her and just wanting to hug her because here she is. she's flying for the air Force, right She's flying for this elite group of folks that fly right next to each other in perfect formations and not have to, and they didn't run into each other. Oh my gosh, this is cool. you know I, I never thought women did this when I was growing up, and to see her doing it now actually was kind of inspirational for me personally, but then I see a lot of people talk about her, well, no, she's not doing enough for women. I'm like, dude she's performing as an athlete, that's not enough. Um, so this then becomes inside of NASCAR, a lot of women are pointing to her as a hero, as their own personal heroes. A lot of women outside of it are not. So I'm curious then, what what are these points of resistance and what are these points of, how do we change this, this culture that we don't like so much is it so much of pointing and saying no this is bad this is bad this is bad this is bad or is it saying okay you know this is a good example let's see how we can grow that you know let's see how we could take an uhura and let's see how we can build this common identity of this is not man versus woman this is not society versus woman this is not patriarchy versus feminism this is what is the best thing for the human race Right. What do we need as human beings first? You know, these are our mothers, our daughters, our sisters, our, you know, these are people that are in our families, are in our lives. What should we be doing instead of automatically saying, nope, bad.
0: It it is an interesting concept that clearly deserves the continued study that is going (laughs) on, not just from your work, but for whatever other people are writing similar types of, yeah. Of works on, and, and it is an important topic to continue to, to be discussed because it's not a problem you know whether you consider it to be a problem or an issue or whatever uh-huh. it's still something that's still there and needs to be considered yeah. and it actually has made it into popular to go back to the phrase popular culture the whole issue of gender and it's in you know how it's considered and how important it is or isn't in some situations has become part of every day of uh, yeah news and uh other issues so the average person so to speak knows about these issues or at least has heard of them
1: yeah yeah and i think popular culture especially in our films have been very helpful in that i mean they're you know putting janeway in the captain's seat was a conscious decision putting ohura in on the bridge was a conscious decision just as it was to put the asian guy driving mm-hmm. the starship the russian guy in charge of weapons right um On the starship during you know sixties, yeah, that was Cold War. So you know,
0: right right in the middle of it, (laughs) it, it Vietnam was going on quite heavily during Star Trek sixty six through sixty nine, as Star Trek the first season when it first came on. So there's no question. There was you know Roddenberry and his. His production, people, you know, it was mostly Gene Roddenberry, but there's no question he was making conscious decisions about what he was trying to say with the casting, or at least as much as he could within the limits of television studios back during that period.
1: Yeah, and 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 if I may, just kind of going back to my background, because my dad and my mom were, you know, uh, my mom moved to China, um, actually, actually from China into Taiwan because of uh, tail end of World War II. Lots of folks were fleeing; they were getting killed. Um, and my grandfa my grandfather on my mom's side, he was the only member of his family to make it out. Literally, one of those last boats out of Chang, Shanghai stories. And so my parents were very, very very interested in just how society can take a dip very easily. And being part of media, one of the reasons we came to the U.S. was because in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a lot of saber-rattling. And my parents were afraid for us because a lot of times when a new regime takes over, they go after media folks. Um, And my dad, what he did was he produced a show in the... I want to say mid-70s, that legitimized a Taiwanese dialect that was not really being used. So it's like, think about this. If you had an entire primetime television show, but it was all in Cajun, right? It's You can you can kind of sort of understand it. we would need subtitles, but that's what he did. The group from China came in, the mandarins, it kind of pretty much took over everything. So the folks that were already living there who spoke the the Taiwanese dialect – had a lot of problems, right? All of a sudden, you're not even communicating in the language that I need. Right. And so it became and so it kind of got pushed down. And so my dad was at that one television show kind of ushered in a change in the way this group of people um, were treated officially you started seeing more um you know it was actually a banned dialect until almost 10 years after my dad's television show but you know people don't talk about it but it's a sense of he did something with media that's really cool so to come from that background it's something that's very important to me because it's no longer just academia pointing fingers at media and media saying we really don't care what you think is how do we then work together how do we bridge that gap
0: and I think it goes back to what I sort of said before, where we now yeah. have access to so much yes. media from yes. so many different locations and cultures and places, even in other parts of yes. the country. I mean, it's hard not to see it because we have so much access to it.
1: Oh, absolutely. You're absolutely right.
0: So, um, first off, why don't you mention what the other book is in the series, even though it, the other book, even though we're not talking about the other book, why don't you give the title here, I'll, I'll remember to put a link uh, in our notes so that if anybody's interested in the other book, you you know the, the other collection that came out of this project, what was the title of that one?
1: Uh, that one, so the title of this book is Heroines of Film and Television. The subtitle is Portrayals in uh, Popular Culture. The companion volume is Heroines of Comic Books and Literature, Portrayals in Popular Culture. And uh, so in that we deal with Uh, The heroines that are more so. So, for example, in here, we'll have a piece on Buffy and Wonder Woman, whereas in that in the other piece in the the companion volume, we'll talk about just Wonder Woman.
0: Okay. well, what kind of plans do you have going forward? Uh, What kind of projects are you working on right now?
1: Right now we are, and this is just me and Bob, we're working on aging heroes growing old in popular culture. You can kind of see a theme. I I like the heroes concept and I like popular culture Um, because, again, we worship heroes, right? We don't necessarily worship them – the way we used to, but we definitely give them a lot of our gold, we give them a lot of our minds um, and our hearts. So in Aging Heroes, I was really curious, you see these movies, you see the Expendables and you see Red and you see the Escape Plan, you see these action heroes of our 80s coming back doing the exact same thing and then you have someone like um, uh, Clint Eastwood doing Gran Torino, he's not Dirty Harry in that anymore, right? Right. Uh, And in the the baseball movie, something about the curve, I think uh, he's again he's aging. Whereas you know Stallone and and some of a Schwarzenegger, they're not. And then you see someone like Helen Mirren, who is gorgeous, and she is an older character, but she's not dyeing her hair. And even in Indiana Jones 4, which is a film I would like to not have to ever remember. but the fact that you, he you don't down. like being
0: in refrigerators in order to avoid an atom bomb.
1: <laughs> oh, it was just it was just a, I'm <laughs> sorry. it was a, a lead
0: lined refrigerator, though. That's how It was
1: it. a lead lined <laughs> right. Lead lined refrigerator staring into this crystal skull that may or may not, you know, that that a lot of people said were actually manufactured less than a, or about a century or two ago. It, yeah. So the the concept, it just seemed like they were throwing together another Indiana Jones movie. Right. Um, it was it was kind of like Godfather Three, you know. It's just it, it didn't need to exist. But the good part was, he was an aging character. They right. showed They didn't dye mm-hmm. his hair, and but they still showed that he is still really good at what he does, even as an older man.
0: It will be interesting to see how the uh, Star Wars characters age in um, Yes, the Force Awakens because we haven't seen any. We, I don't think there's been a single photo out yet of them on, you know, in character, so to speak. So it's hard to see what it's going to be interesting to see how they're treated because you're. I mean, the concept of aging is going to be part of it. There's no question about it. I mean, I don't think there's any sign that yeah. they're not going to. Well, so it will be interesting to see how their aging comes along well. because uh, we know from well. seeing them in real life that they don't uh-huh. look very much like they did back then <laughs> so it will be nope. interesting to see how they come through with that when you talk about aging although i saw the i've been seeing the trailer for the new terminator movie and arnold looks a little old yep. in that trailer so <laughs>
1: They gray out his hair, right? right I mean, in right. real life, he doesn't wear any gray. Well, he wears he, he wears his hair salt and pepper. And you saw that in Escape Plan. saw that in Expendables. And um, so, what's his name? Uh, Stallone also wears salt and pepper. But in Terminator, they made the decision he's all gray. And they didn't have to because they could have CG'd him in at any point, cause, like they did in the, the I think, it was Salvation. So they made a point of... of of aging him, so I'm curious to see this. And again, my interest in this is in reflects in real life as well. What does this do for folks who are aging? When you have all these other major stars who are doing the same things as they were, is this unrealistic aging? But then you you have folks who are being more realistic and saying, "Listen, I'm just not frail and old. I'm still a human being." Um, and, all, and some of this, again, comes from my Chinese background, is that in the, in, especially in Taiwan and, and in China, a lot of the Asian backgrounds, we, to a certain extent, worship our old or worship our ancestors and worship, you know, that filial piety is there, right? When my dad tells me to do something, even at my age today, married, moved out of the house, he's in Taiwan, he will call me to do something, I will just jump to it. Okay. There's no argument. It was, it was just that, that automatic obedience. So what's interesting to me is how we treat aging so differently from one culture to another. And what is it that these films could be doing to help Americans as we age?
0: Well, I really enjoyed our conversation. It's clear that this is a topic that is particularly interesting to you and, and your enthusiasm comes all comes through. And it's great when I talk to someone who, I mean, everybody I've talked to on my interviews have clearly have a great deal of knowledge and expertise on their topic, but I always like it in particular when I talk to somebody whose enthusiasm comes through so well and oh,
1: thank you. the whole
0: discussion of why they're writing, what they're writing tends to come through in much greater detail when there's that kind of enthusiasm. So I really want to thank you for joining me today, Norma, and I'm glad we had a chance to talk.
1: Thank you for including me. I really do appreciate this and your time.
0: My great thanks to Norma for her time. Don't forget to also seek out the companion volume, Heroines of Comic Books and Literature. This is Joel Cherney, and I will be back soon with more new books in film.